Welcome to The Banker Midweek, your weekly look at what the industry is talking about, offering information bankers like you need to know. Welcome to The Banker Midweek, and uh, this week is going to be myself, Barbara Penese, and Kimberly Long. Hi, Kim. Hi. So today we are discussing Evergrande demise and uh, perhaps um, what the event told us about regulation or maybe the lack of it. Um, and then I would also like to talk again about Credit Suisse. It's been almost one year since its failure, but reports about its demise keep popping up. And I think that both events, even if they are quite different, obviously, they give us the opportunity to tackle important and uh, evergreen issues in, uh, in financial regulation. So um, so this week, um, a Hong Kong court has ordered um, Evergrande to be uh, liquidated. Uh, and this is a new phase for the collapse of the world's most indebted property developer. Um, so this liquidation is, is nothing, has not surprised anybody mm. as it comes just over two years after the company's official default. So um, Kim, of course, you wrote an, uh, an article yeah. recently, well, this week about it. So yes. I don't know if, if you, you know, tell us a bit more. Yeah, so um, what happened is that um, the Evergrande kind of developed the arm in um, Hong Kong um, had been in in court and the judge there has basically said, enough is enough, um, we're going to order the, the company to be wound down. Um, the chair of Evergrande has said, well, this only applies to Hong Kong. The China mainland operations will continue. However, um, as you mentioned, then doing some interviews yesterday for this piece, um, the kind of consensus is, well, Hong Kong wouldn't say this without having spoken to Beijing. And if the operations in one area are being wound down, then it's likely the the same thing will happen in mainland China as well. So I think this is probably the end now for Evergrande. Um, but as you said, it's been a long process. Um, they first defaulted on the debts in 2021. Um, they took out um, bankruptcy pr- protection against the foreign bonds um, in New York a couple of years ago. So there's been a lot of processes in this and it's just part of the wider story really of the difficulties Mm. that we're seeing at the moment for Chinese developers they're not the only one like Country Garden has also been having issues with paying its debts there's also um, another property developer Soho China which is also experiencing troubles as well but I think with this it's kind of like from what I've the, the conversations I've had it's the thought that actually it doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to be a huge issue across the whole of the Chinese economy. It's just that these companies are struggling and, to, again, to quote that judge in Hong Kong, enough is enough and they, they will just step in to wind them down now because they can't continue to struggle on. And one suggestion was actually that there are, of the top 100 property con- companies sorry, in China, it's likely that there'll be... Um, some that are kind of folded together. So it's unlikely that there'll be kind of 100 major companies in a couple of years' time. It's more likely to be maybe 50. And I think that kind of replicates the theme of what we've seen as well with the Chinese banks too, where we have the major banks, which are hugely successful. Mm -hmm. But then you have those other smaller, more regional banks, which are struggling. And actually what's going to happen now is that they're just going to be combined, um, consolidated together, to kind of reduce that risk of liquid of 
economic fault of the of the liquidation and just provide a little bit more security really you know to kind of smaller banks together make one slightly stronger larger bank and I think the same thing is going to go now for the property mm-hmm. companies as well. Yeah, it's interesting what you say because I think um, I would have said maybe the opposite. I don't mm. know if I'm wrong. I would say maybe if you just combine and just create larger entities, mm. also the risks are maybe larger. But I don't yeah. know if this is... I mean, it seems to be what the, the preferred method in China, like we've seen that already happen with a couple of the smaller banks where they've mm-hmm. they've merged them together to try to get rid of that risk. But I suppose they're just concerned about if there is like a default, then actually if it can be absorbed somewhere else then maybe that takes away some of the risk really okay okay so so you think that's the it's not going to cause like huge pressure on the economy um from the conversations i've been having no it seems to be you know these these issues are kind of baked in it's not mm-hmm. like the they, they were prepared yeah like yeah. the the kind of the collapse wasn't something that happened you know it, we've known about it for a couple of years now and it's mm-hmm. kind of been the market has accepted it and you know also it was quite interesting that this announcement was made like on the Monday mm. which has given it you know the market that time to have a full week ahead of yeah. us this week to kind of manage it and figure it out so it's not like it's just been one sh- one sudden shock it's actually it's kind of inevitable I think that it ended up this way. Mm-hmm. And and I think also another, another thing about the topic that I find it interesting is also the the fact that um, uh, PwC resigned, um, you know, I made a decision. PwC was the um, uh, auditor and they mm. resigned over matters relating to the audit of its um, 2021 accounts. Mm. And this, I think, brings, and, and also PwC is being investigated by Hong Kong. Um, and I think this is something that we, especially this year, well, last year we've mm. seen again and again about uh, there is a lot of scrutiny um, on the big four accounting firms. Mm. Uh, and I think there was also quite an interesting uh, development in the US uh, this week where the, um, this big, these firms have admitted hundreds of violations of regulations designed to protect the independence of their audit work. Mm. Uh, and this is following the introduction of new disclosure rules in the mm. US. So I think... Uh, this again brings this topic in light. I think we're seeing even uh, probably in China the rules are different, but mm. still, I think the um, this topic of uh, you know this kind of oligopoly mm. of this big four firms and what's going to happen because there've been a lot of critics. Um, yeah, so I think this. I don't know if you if you think this thing is uh, has come up. Again. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been Asia a lot of... Or... Yeah, but I think just overall, there's been a lot of questions mm-hmm. about the big four auditing firms, hasn't there, really, about their, um, their processes and some of the decisions they've made. So, yeah. again, it's it's just it's part of that larger trend, I think. Uh-huh, okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, now let's turn to Credit Suisse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 2023, we've seen uh, banking crisis in the U.S., uh, and I think Credit Suisse, of course, just to remind everybody, it was different because it's a globally systemic bank, mm-hmm. and it was the first failing for the first time since Lehman Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there are a number of analysis focusing on the reasons behind the failure. Um, and I believe it is important to focus on details and we could talk endlessly uh, about, uh, you know, why they failed, um, etc. But I think one of the uh, the most important 
one one thing that I haven't seen a lot and something that I recently wrote um, is that Credit Suisse taught us that sometimes regulations are not enough mm. because everybody, of course, uh, talks about, okay, we have to increase regulation, etc. So mm. um, uh, even if regulations are fit for purpose, um, the question is why resolution, for example, was not the chosen path. So mm. resolution frameworks um, have been established in many jurisdictions since the global financial crisis mm. to um, avoid that taxpayers kind of pay the bill mm. and to avoid bailing out banks, basically. So whenever we go outside and we just uh, go for, we just... Um, resolve the solution, we resolve the case without the resolution, that's mm. bring again the potential, um, the risk that taxpayers can be exposed mm. to losses. Mm. Um, and um, so I think that several factors have been suggested to explain why resolution was not chosen. Mm. Uh, but I think there, were, there are also political reasons to why there is a strong uh, re reluctance to impose resolution. And this is true for Credit Suisse and this is true for other uh, banking, uh, like smaller banking crisis in, mm. in, in Europe. Um, and uh, so in Credit Suisse, so the, the institution was merged with a national peer. Uh, and as we've seen, once again, domestic solutions um, seem easier to implement as, of course, authorities have a better knowledge and control of the, uh, the situation, but there are risks. Mm. Uh, and, um, and the risks for is that national solutions cannot go on forever because at some point, um, you know, we're going to eat a roadblock. So, for example, if in the case if um, UBS faces a crisis, mm. you know, the option of a Swiss takeover is no longer available. And again, we have we end up with a big entity. Mm. Uh, so I think, yeah, I just found it interesting that there are certain variables, certain uh, political biases that... Um, somehow are always there and it's difficult to to regulate so mm. um i don't know what you think about this mm, but I, th I think it kind of you know it's a good example of kind of what i was saying with like the the, the merger side of things of if another entity can kind of take on something that's a bit mm -hmm. bigger, it kind of makes it a little bit stronger um mm. but i mean there's so many there's so many regulatory issues that come into play with these things that it just makes it mm -hmm. so complex yeah you know? yeah um, and without, I mean, to be honest, I'm without knowing, I don't know why, you know, they didn't look like down a resolution path. I don't understand mm -hmm. why that would be as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course they have explained that uh, they, they had, you know, the Swiss authorities had their reasoning mm. and, uh, uh, you know, maybe the financial stability was preserved. So they had their own reasoning, but I think this just, uh, brings up the, the questions on, on why, um, we come up with certain rules and mm. somehow, I'm not saying that they, they did anything wrong mm. uh, because they, they have their own authority to decide, but I'm just want, there is a risk, right? Mm. Uh, so the, the Swiss government uh, put out some kind of uh, guarantees and uh, everything went well, but mm. there is still a risk of mm. um, kind of uh, taxpayers paying for, for an eventual failure. Yeah, I mean, I think there's that kind of um, approach of that that you can only really create regulations for the environment that you've seen you know mm -hmm. if you don't anticipate something might happen or if you know the whether it's 
I don't know, like the global financial crisis of, you know, over like 15 years ago now or even with COVID, something that is like an mm-hmm. an, an event that maybe you didn't quite anticipate. You can only regulate a certain amount mm-hmm. for these things. But I mean, again, to kind of go back to look at what's happening in Asia and China and things like there's, you know, they they are having some issues and things with the economy. But I think like the this is just an example, like the Chinese approach is they want to take a more mm-hmm. um kind of focused approach on things so where you say about like taxpayer risk and things like that like they don't just want to give out money kind of willy-nilly and just lots of like financial support they actually want really targeted support so like with these smaller banks that maybe are struggling they're kind of issuing bonds specifically to support Mm -hmm. them and to try and increase their capital so they're trying to address that specific problem rather Mm -hmm. than just kind of giving the money to them and hoping that that kind of helps things out Mm -hmm. so it's you know, because the it, the issue is, is then if you do just give them the cash and then there's, you know, it doesn't work and there's a failure or whatever anyway, then then that kind of gets knocked down further down and it is, you know, the next generation now that kind of has to pay the bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, mm. exactly. Um, and I think once again, um, it is quite a, a relevant topic uh, because we are seeing this topic coming up again mm. and again and again in the current debate about Basel um, three in the US, mm. um, where, of course, the banking industry um, says that holding more capital uh, will make them less profitable and will end up reducing lending. So this mm. is a kind of a story that uh, we hear uh, again and again. Mm. Uh, so we see this, uh, this kind of two different forces. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, again, the, the thing that the core lesson is that too much debt and leverage um, always ends, ends bad. But then, of course, you need uh, specific regulation to see how much is too much, right? It's always yeah. uh, this case. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and again, I think uh, another another article that I wanted to, another topic that I'd like to discuss mm-hmm. is, uh, again, a bit different. We move in another territory, but again, it's still a bit uh, on the regulatory side. And this is about Lloyd's um, that this week is closing its mobile van banking service uh, this year. And this is after announcing uh, um, a number, more than 1,000 branch job cuts. Uh, and of course, this is because there is a strong push towards online banking. Mm. Um, consumer group which said that while the decision, the decision is a commercial one, and uh, of course they are free to do whatever they want, uh, the decision is particularly disappointing given that these vans were meant to serve rural, rural areas mm. with limited branch coverage. Um, and yeah, the, the industry group is saying that we need strong regulator, regulatory envi- involvement to ensure that alternatives such as shared banking hubs are quickly rolled out. Mm. Um, and um, this is, a, again, an evergreen topic, but I think it's not really discussed enough because mm. this is my maybe personal view, but I think everybody keeps talking about the benefits of digitalization and how we should, uh, digitalization is even good for... Uh, for environmental purposes, mm. but at the same time, uh, there is a growing discontent for banks reducing their offline services to cut costs. And of course, the one is, is often they will close in more disadvantaged area. Mm. Um, and I think I've seen different countries mm, being pushed to guarantee freedom of payment choice. Mm. So, you know, what is what is your view on this? Yeah, I mean, I do. I agree. Like, I think it is worrying when you see these services being taken away from people and 
I mean, as someone who's always lived in cities my whole life, I've never had to worry about these things. But, you know, you do read these things about in like parts of Wales and like the Highlands mm-hmm. of Scotland and things like that, where these services are really essential because there just aren't that many bank branches. Mm-hmm. And equally, um, like you also hear stories as well about the fact that the mobile internet connection maybe isn't so great. Like we're on 5G in London, but maybe it's still only 3G. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the rollout of the the kind of connected internet connection isn't that great. Like, again, we're looking at getting fiber connections, but maybe it's still, you know, an earlier kind of connection there. So it's not even a case that, oh, but these people have that support of being able to use the online services because actually maybe they're not as good as we take for granted in other parts of the country. And it's... Mm. It is taking a service away from people and it does it does worry me because we kind of take for granted in the UK that we are a very well banked country. Mm. You know, there's very few people who don't have access to a bank account. But when things like this are happening, you're risking causing more blind spots where actually people can't access yeah. banking facilities. And that seems quite concerning to me. You know, it's such a, an expected thing and the yeah, 21st yeah. century that you can access your finance and have a bank account so yeah it doesn't i i i can see why they, they're saying this for kind of the cost cutting measures but i don't think people should be deprived of services yeah. yeah it's quite interesting and even in the uk there is there might be issue people facing this issue right yeah. that maybe they, are, they rely on cash um maybe even people that don't have a formal job mm. um yeah so this is an issue of course that in emerging markets is quite relevant mm. and and there there is like a different uh, necessities because of course there is a need to to increase uh the formal economy uh, mm. but yeah it's it's uh, striking that just in the UK there is there is this issue Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I think this brings us to a close. Uh, thank you very much, Kim. It was, uh, yeah, I hope that you enjoyed. And um, yeah, please tune in for uh, next week's podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Banker Midweek, part of the portfolio of podcasts from the editorial team at The Banker, available on thebanker.com and wherever you get your podcast fix. Search on The Banker Podcasts to listen to more.